song I'll, I'll know here shortly. Um, but there was this girl I'd been dating for a short period of time, and um, I knew that my heart was for her and that I had fallen in love with her and that she was the one. Uh, and so um, I battered her into submission one evening by talking too much and staying up too late and then finally asking her if she might grow old with me and marry me and be my wife. Uh, and to my great surprise, she said, if you'll stop talking, yes. <laughs> and as you might imagine, um, her being her that you know, glamorous, beautiful, smart, um, very gifted woman that she is, I might have some insecurities that maybe she doesn't really know who I am yet and that I'm just average. And so I would uh, ask along the way in our engagement, are you sure? Um, really me? Uh, and, and she would reassure me faithfully and, and, and pretty constantly along the way, yes, you, you're the one. And I would say, oh, I believe you. And it wouldn't be more than two, three days later, I would ask again, really? You said yes, right? You're not changing your mind, right? And she would reassure me once more, I said yes. And then the more we would talk about the wedding and the wedding plans, the more the reality sunk in, you know, that, yeah, we actually, she, she's actually planning a wedding. Maybe, maybe this is really going to happen. And um, I started seeing these magazines laying around, and, and with each passing day and each little element like a magazine or a, a picture of a wedding dress, I became more and more confident and assured that, yeah, we, we, we're getting married. And then the day actually came, and the night before I'd ask her, you're, you're going to be there, right? <laughs> and she, she promised me, yes, that, that she would be there. And um, then the day came. And everything was going pretty smooth. Uh, the, the minister called me up front. And I looked down the aisle and saw my bride and thought, Wow. This is going to happen. And I never had more of a sense of security and love and joy than I did in that moment. That's, oh, well, that's what's going on here in these scriptures. One of the things I love about the characters of the scriptures are they are so real to me. They are such real people. And all along the way, God is coming to Abram and saying, Abram, I'm going to give you, I'm going to promise you something. I'm going to promise you some land. And Abram would go, yes, Lord, I believe. Really, Lord? And then he would say, Abram, I'm going to give you this land, and it's going to be a great land. It's going to be huge. And Abram would say, yes, Lord, I believe. And the Lord would say, that's great, and I credit that belief as, as righteousness. And, and then he would later say, yes, Lord, but I don't have a child. And then, and then the Lord would come to him and say, yes, Abram, let me tell you one more time. You're going to have a child of your own 
flesh. And it's going to be a child that, that you have that will be the promise and the blessing to all other nations. And so we pick up this story where Abraham one more time says, Yes, Lord, I believe, but in effect, Lord, help my unbelief. And I relate to that. I don't know about you. I, I kind of relate to that. There are things I, I read in scriptures and I go, yes, Lord, I, I believe. And about two hours later, I'm, yes, Lord, but help my unbelief. This scripture that we're reading this morning is God giving a promise along with a demonstration of the certainty of that promise that engages you and I to believe him and gives us an invitation to believe that his promise is for real and as certain as the day of your betrothal and the day of the consummation of your wedding. That for many of us, we don't know exactly who we are in life. We wonder still, am I worthy? We wonder still, will I make it to the end? We wonder still, how can anyone really like me? And yet God gives us this promise. It's an inextricable promise. It's a promise that says he has eternally connected himself to his children forever. Romans 4.16 says this, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be a guarantee to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who have faith, the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. And so every one of us who proclaim faith in Christ, the seed of Abraham, we realize we are, in fact, the heirs and the children of Abraham and therefore the beneficiaries of all that God promised Abraham way back here in Genesis 15. So it behooves us to look this morning in these scriptures and begin to understand how can I walk into this reassurance this certainty of what God has done to accomplish this indivisible relationship that you and I as believers have with Him. First of all, I want you to look at God's call to Abraham. In verse 7, God says this, And He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. What is God saying to Abram there? He's asking Abram to remember where you came from and remember how you got out of there. Remember that you used to be a moon gazer and now I'm making you the producer of stars. The religion of Ur in that time was the god Nana, the god of the moon. And the Chaldeans were known as a people and the capital of that being Ur, which was in southern Mesopotamia, which is now southern Iraq, was their religion there was to worship the moon. It was a, Ur was a fantastic city. It was a city uh, of great wealth. It was a city of, of great science. In fact, every time you look at a clock, not during the sermon, but every time you look at a clock, you can thank the people of Ur who gave us 60-minute hours and 60 seconds, and they invented the wheel. It was the first human civilization to ever be. And Abram comes out of that civilization. And God is saying, Abram, remember where you were. Remember the land in which you dwell, the land of your fathers. 
and this amazing grace that I have given you by calling you out to follow me. I'm calling you from a past place where you were solely by the means of grace. Abram was not looking for God. Abram wasn't listening for God. We're told that God came to Abram and called him out and said, Abram, follow me. And God says, Abram, remember, I'm the one who called you. I'm the one who claimed you as mine. I'm the one who gave you a mission. I'm the one who is promising you what's about to be. But not only did he call him out of his past, but he called him into the present. Look at what I'm about to do, Abram. Look at what I'm about to give you. Take note of where you are. And take note to whom you're speaking. Take note to who's about to give you everything you might have ever dreamed of. And then he goes into this great display of his future. Wouldn't it be nice if God would come and he would say, Look, remember where you came from. Figure out where you are right now. And guess what? I'm going to show you bits and pieces of your future that are great. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be satisfying? Wouldn't that give you a sense of security? You're going to get home before dark and everything's going to be okay? Maybe it would give you more of that. Maybe, maybe it would give you a better sleep at night. Maybe it would give you better relationships. Maybe you wouldn't feel so threatened by other people. Maybe it would give you a better understanding of who you were worshiping. Maybe it would give you a better charge of why you should worship. And that's what these scriptures are telling us. God is giving you and I these pictures and these scriptures. Let's continue on. What does he tell Abram to do? Well, he tells him, I want you to do the work of being a believer. I want you to do the work of receiving the blessing I'm about to give you. How does he do that? Look at verse 9 with me. The Lord said to him again, bring me a heifer. In other words, Abraham, you go get it. Bring me a heifer, bring me a goat, and bring me a ram and a turtle dove. And oh yeah, while you're at it, get a pigeon. What's the purpose of these different animals? I don't know. They don't have a specific purpose other than God told him to go get these things because that's what God wanted him to do. What he wanted was Abraham's obedience to do what God had asked him to do. You see, God is engaging Abram. God could have put all those things out all by himself. But God says, Abram, I want you to be engaged in who I am and what I'm doing and the blessing that I'm giving you. You go get these things for me. What would you do if God engaged you like that this morning? What would you say if God said to you, here's what I want you to do for me? I don't know about you, but I I feel kind of privileged by that, kind of humbled. I mean, think think about when when you're singled out for recognition of doing a good job by the person who you work for. If your boss says to you, you've done a great job and you're one of the few people I can trust to get this done for me. 
I know you believe in our company and you believe in the mission of our company and I want you to be the one who does this. When you have a sense of, man, that, that's really cool. That makes me feel good about what I do. You see, God's employing the highest authority that there is. The king of the universe is engaging a man, a human being, and saying, here, prepare what I'm doing. Be busy about the work of the blessing I'm about to give you. Prepare the sacrifices for me. And it says, even to the detail of protective, keep, keep the birds of prey away. Watch over it. Take that which I'm about to give you and manage it. Steward over it. Protect it. Why? Because it's precious. When God engages you and I to do things for Him, that is a precious engagement. So God says, do the work of preparation and receive the blessings. And then look at the third thing here. God unveils His promise in the next verses, starting in verse 12. This mysterious event that would have been so um, familiar to those of that day of what God was doing, that God was making a covenant with Abram. He was making a promise. He was writing a contract with the blood of these animals, with Abram. But he says this, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. I wonder why. Have you ever wondered why Abram had to be asleep? Well, that's going to unveil here in just a minute, so hold on to that. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain. Know without a doubt that your offspring will be sojourners in a land and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. And, of course, we know that to be the children of Israel in captivity in Egypt. As we look back on history, we see this promise of God unfolding with the children of Israel captured in Egypt and enslaved there for 400 years, only to wait upon the deliverer Moses to come and free them out of captivity and bring them back towards this land of promise. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you will go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. And then it says in verse 17, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot, and a flaming torch passed through these pieces. Let me tell you what's going on. This is the mark of a covenant. This is a contract being made. This is a promise between two parties that would have been routine and normal to the people of Abraham's day. Except one thing is significant is happening here. God has set Abram aside and made him fall asleep. So there could be no doubt in Abram's mind or anyone else that would come in contact with this reality that they had nothing to do with it. That this was a unilateral contract, not bilateral. It wasn't between two parties. 
But it was one party putting himself on the line and saying it is by me that this promise will be fulfilled. And if not, then let it be to me as it is to these birds and doves and calves and goats. In other words, if I don't follow through, then let my blood be like these. And so God himself, by his spirit, takes up the pot, this smoking pot of judgment, this mysterious flaming torch, which we would know later as the column of fire at night and the, and the column of smoke during the day that led the Hebrew children through the desert. We see the precursor of this fire pot and this smoking pot here even with Abram. And we see God himself walking through the pieces and saying, it's up to me to make this happen. It's where God says to Abram, Abram, everything I promised you is certain because I'm the one that's going to make it happen. That's why this story is so very important to you and I. Because it's where God makes a promise that He will be inextricably connected to us as our Father forever. How can we know that? We know this because of what this all represents. When we look at this story, we see the story, the gospel in its fullness. We see an Egypt that represents a world and a world power of which God's people went into, who were enslaved by it. We see people enslaved in this world by sin, trapped in the deluge of running over and over in a rat race of brick and mortar and trying to make enough bricks to build enough buildings and caught up. And yet God sends a better deliverer, a better Moses. He sends Jesus to his people to deliver us out of the bondage of the slavery of sin. To give you and I a future. A future that doesn't go into a land that has borders, but a new heaven and a new earth without borders. Have you ever wondered why Israel never fulfilling took over all the land because it was more than borders that God was promising. Read Hebrews chapter 11 this afternoon. You'll find out what God was promising Abram here was much more than land, a plot of dirt on this earth. But he was promising Abraham through his seed, the Christ to come, that all things that belong to Christ would be his. And thereby faith be yours and mine as well. That this mysterious act, this fire pot, this smoke has so much significance in your life and my life today that we should brood upon it and dwell upon it often because it's where God, with His own blood, marked the sand to say, You are mine and forever will be. Or let it be on my head. And in fact, did He not do that? 
Did he not shed his own blood on the cross as a sign and a seal that those who would have faith in that blood by the Holy Spirit would be sealed forever unto the day of redemption until his return where we will inherit all that is his? And you see, 3,500 years before that day on the cross, this promise was made and written in the stars so that you and I might know today for certain that it is true. And so God offers you and I this morning an invitation to believe. To believe what? Well, do me a favor this morning. Let's take a moment. Look at where you came from. Look how God has brought you to this point today. Maybe you've been as lost as a, a bat without ears. That was a good one. I like it. And you wonder, how on earth did I get here in East Glenville Church today to hear this guy talking about bulls and heifers and goats and sheep? I'm telling you, the Spirit brought you here today to hear the message of God for you. That by His grace, no matter what your past is, no matter where your past is, He's calling you out right now in this moment to be His. He's asking you to know the grace that is yours this morning by even hearing the name Yahweh. And then secondly, just like Abraham, he's asking us who believe to calculate our present. And the grace that you and I have in the present of being able to do the work of the Lord. That we too have been entrusted with the sacrifice. We have been entrusted to steward over those things such as baptism and the Lord's Supper. The reading of the word and prayer and fellowship. That you and I have been entrusted as the people of God to steward over the things of God so that the world may see. And when the birds of prey come upon the community, it's you and I who are called to eschew them away. What a privilege it is that you and I have this morning to have the opportunity to come in and worship. And how our culture has lost the opportunity to worship Yahweh in light of worshiping self. And God says, calculate where you are. See where I brought you from and see yourself to this day because I want you to see your future. God has unveiled the promise to you and I of a better land. He's unveiled to you and I that this world, this earth, this life is not all there is. That there is a life to come that is much more significant. There is a life that we are entering into that is much more eternal. There is a life that you and I are to live that is filled with so much more than the drudgery of this land. That even in the persecution of this land, it moves us closer and closer and closer to home. 
And the more frustrated we become with this life, the more we realize we weren't made for this life. But we were made for a land to come. You wonder why you can't get satisfied? You wonder why there's no food that can ever not make you hungry again? Do you wonder why there's no drink that can never make you feel less thirsty? Do you, do you wonder why I can't get drunk enough? I keep wanting to get drunk again. Do you ever wonder why I can't get high enough? Do you wonder why, why I can't look at the computer long enough? I keep going back for more and more and more and more because this world can't satisfy you. There's nothing in it that can bring you and I peace and joy and comfort. It's only that which has been created for us that we might enter into because it's for us. And so Christ has unveiled through the revelation that He truly is the seed of Abraham. That He truly was the one that God in Genesis 15 was looking forward to. That He truly is the one who would accomplish the victory. He's the better Joshua. He's the one who went into hell and defeated death and defeated the Amorites. He's the one who was victorious over the grave. He is the one who accomplished salvation and redemption for God's people. And He is the one who has earned all the rewards of God to share them with His people by grace. And He is the one who reigns over the promised land to divide it up amongst His people. And you say, what do I have to do? Take a seat. And believe. Rest. He's the one who walked through the animals. He's the one who's done it on your behalf. He's the one who says, You are forever mine. Let He says, Let me give you the invitation to believe. It is finished. Enter into my rest. And you will find freedom in everything else I ask you to do. And you will know for certain that you are mine. So Lee and I have been married soon to be 39 years. We've had four sons, eight granddaughters, one step-grandson. With each birth, with each rebirth, with each passing year, I've come more and more certain of the love that Lee and I have for one another. It becomes etched in my heart deeper and deeper and deeper. And I have more and more confidence in it. It's the same way with your Father. Your Heavenly Father is pulling you through. 
and bringing you along and all along the way showing you that you are His. And the highest form of love and response that you and I can give Him is, Yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's pray. Mighty Father,